23rd of November 1963, the first episode of Doctor Who was broadcast. Little did people know that on that evening, a television legend was born. And now, 50 years and 11 Doctors later, Doctor Who will celebrate its half-century in November 2013. And already, social media, bloggers, forums and podcasters have already begun those celebrations. But why has this show survived? And how has a little British sci-fi show about a man who travels through time and space in a battered blue police box, once famous for its wobbly sets, cheap special effects and occasionally hammy acting, become the global sensation that it is today? In an occasional series of interviews, I'll be talking to fans, bloggers and podcasters and try to find out what they love and hate about the show, what their favourite memories are and ask why has this show about a madman in a box survived for so long. My guest this week is Graham Benson, formerly of the Gallifrey and High Imbeciles and Fifty Shades of Gallifrey podcast, and is now recording and writing for the Gallifrey Times. Hello, Graham. Hi, Phil. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, taking part. Oh, yeah. Always a pleasure. Never chore, mate. Excellent, excellent. So, basically, um, get things started, how did you get in doc- into Doctor Who? I actually got into Doctor Who. Um, I'm 28 now, so I didn't really have a specific doctor, as it were. Um, I got into Doctor Who by um, my dad buying me. Who My dad is a, a huge Doctor Who fan. And um, he bought me a twin uh, tape set of um, a William Hartnell adventure. I think it was The Chase and Remembrance of Daleks on VHS. And back in those days, uh, make it sound ancient, but it wasn't really. <laughs> uh, we, we didn't yet have DVD players, so the, the VHS uh, tape of Remembrance of the Daleks, uh, from probably about once a day for about... Uh, Christ, about 15 weeks I watched Remembrance of the Daleks wow. every day um, and it started from there really uh, after that um, my dad sort of bought me a few more um, Sylvester McCoy era uh, VHS tapes and um, and yeah it started from there really So what was it about McCoy that sort of um, made you keep watching because everyone sort of says that, that period of Doctor Who was sort of like when it started to really go downhill, and I know at that point you had nothing to compare it to if all you watched is McCoy, but what was it about McCoy that made you come back for more? It, I mean, sort of reflecting on it now, uh, the sort of uh, time in the Rani, uh, the first McCoy episode, and um, all the way up to survival. Uh, for me, um, McCoy uh, got better in, in into the role as time went on. Uh, at first, the main criticism of Sylvester McCoy, in my view, is that um, the first few episodes certainly were sort of a panto doctor, you know, sort of, uh, certainly with Time and the Rani, you know, there was far too much comic relief in it with all his, you know, his wrong say, uh, saying, sort of puns wrong and, and things like that. Mm. Um, he sort of danced around. Um, by the time you got to survival, um, 
you saw a real, real darker side to the Doctor that I can, as a child, I didn't really see. But now I can see that, I mean, he sort of uh, trapped Ace uh, to the place that she never wanted to go back to um, in Ghostlight. And then in Survival as well, he basically, all the way through from Ghostlight really to the end, he used Ace as a pawn in his in his game it sort of really brought a, a darker side to, to the Doctor um, I think as a child the main thing that attracted me to Sylvester McCoy as, as Doctor Who was the um, was his voice was his sort of when he got angry or very expressionate you know the, with a before he said anything um, that was that. I think as a kid that's what attracted me to Sylvester McCoy as a Doctor so when it sort of because um, you sort of sort of really sort of caught Doct- Doctor Who in its you know the wilderness years I suppose you could say so um, during that time there was also a lot of uh, sort of books and also in the nineties um, you had things like Big Finish start up did you ever get into that as well or did you sort of stick to the, the whatever VHS tapes you could get your hands on I think it was um, I think it was the VHS tapes um, obviously my dad being a big big fan of Doctor Who, he had quite a lot of the Tom Baker stuff on VHS um, and the Target novels as well um, that were from Virgin Publishing I think um, the Target novels I, I absolutely loved reading I'm not a big reader anymore but when I was sort of a kid and going into my early teens the Target novels, sort of the serialisations of, of the, the episodes themselves were Left a big effect on me as um, as a young Doctor Who fan, if you like. Yeah, I, th- I think the uh, sort of the books do tend to get sort of forgotten about. But it's sort of like I think sort of like the, the you know the diehard fans like myself to sort of, you know remember reading the Target books when they, when they were little. Um, but can you remember sort of what the first one you read was? Because mine was the Auton Invasion. My first Target novel was the Happiness Patrol. Um. And it was fantastic. And, and when I saw, when I watched the episode, um, it translated into the episode. And Richard Bryars as as um, oh Christ, what was his name? Uh, not not Richard Bryars. Um, uh, not not Ken Dodd. Do you think of the uh, not not um, Happiness Retour was Helen A. Ah yes yes. I saw. The, the actual character of Helen A. I don't know how I got Helen A mixed up with Richard Bryars. <laughs> Easy um, mistake to make. But <laughs> <laughs> apparently so. Uh, and um, from the Target novel and then going on to get my hands on, on the, the VHS recording of of the episode, it, it all seemed to sort of fit in nicely. The, the Target novels were sort of pretty well adapted to, to what you were actually going to watch um, in person, when you when you got that tape finally, the hallowed tape. The hallowed tape, yes. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I think a lot of the, um, the certain the type of books that I've read uh, were pretty much they do expand on the on the the televisual format, but then they also do have a couple of uh, clunkers amongst their collection as well, um, which are li- basically just literal translations of the uh, of the shooting script and, and don't really uh, make very good reading. 
to be honest. So, um, but yeah. what about sort of like the the Virgin New Adventures? Did you ever sort of dip your toes into those waters at all? Um, mind games. I read uh, it was a Sylvester McCoy uh, Seventh Doctor uh, book, and I've got to say that I've had it in on my shelf for about seven, eight years, and I still haven't finished it. Because it- <laughs> Bored me to death. <laughs> the art as well, which I still haven't finished. So the new adventures didn't really do much for me. So um, you, you really did stick with McCoy throughout every, everything, didn't you? Did you ever feel like sort of trying some of the other doctors, or was it really sort of like at that point McCoy, I, I, McCoy is what you knew, and that's what you're going to stick with? It 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 was when I was a kid. Um, as I grew up, I sort of thought. There must be more to Doctor Who than watching Remembrance of the Daleks. <laughs> Dean Week stretches. So, yeah, I, I think I, I've 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 gone into watching. I've se- I mean, I think I've seen probably every classic episode, um, as you know, as they are available. Mm. Um, but I think it's something which. As a kid, you know, you, you get very fixated on certain characters, and although the Doctor obviously is, um, you know, the one character, there's so many different facets to, to each Doctor, which you, you gradually have to sort of get into. So um, I'm pleased to say now that uh, Sylvester McCoy is one of my favourite Doctors, um, but there's plenty of others. <laughs> <laughs> there certainly is. Now, when um, the show came back in 2005... So how excited were you about that? Because you know there was a lot of um, sort of fans who have been sort of like watching it for a good many years and sort of incredibly excited about the fact the show is returning. Um, now obviously you hadn't sort of really grown up watching Doctor Who, but you'd obviously sort of had the, the you know the videos and the books and everything. Um, how much of an effect did that have on you when it when it came back? To be honest, by two thousand and five, I developed. Uh, by that time, I developed a. a a better understanding of of classic Doctor Who from from each generation. Um, so I was a bit skeptical at first um, when sort of Rose was broadcast. It took me a while to get into the the sort of. I think it was a bit of a culture shock, really, because apart from the TV movie, you hadn't had anything since nineteen eighty nine, um, and it was it was a bit strange seeing sort of. Doctor Who looking half decent, if you like. Um, obviously, with people who sort of followed it from '63 onwards, you know they they would have been wowed by the special effects in certain episodes. Um, but obviously, as a kid, when I was growing up, looking back, um, at times, obviously, you thought, "Oh God, that looks terrible." Um, so, seeing Doctor Who in a new, modern type way was 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 quite strange for me to be honest and um, I sort of built up this this image of Doctor Who being all sort of cardboard cutouts and um, you know lots of foam like and just weird looking creatures that looking back now didn't really look very uh, realistic and then we went to sort of CGI and it all sort of started to look quite current um, so it took me a while to get to get used to it, to be honest. Yeah, um, it's yeah. I must admit, it's one of those um, one of those things. Cause I think a lot of people were expecting it not to be quite so polished 
as it was. I think people were expecting the the old wobbly sets and and the uh, the old rubber monsters again. Yeah, yeah, like the condoms filled with a uh, green liquid or whatever. Yeah, to simulate maggots. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But as I say, I mean, I mean, at that point, I mean, you know, for a lot of new viewers, I mean, Chris Eccleston became their doctor. Um, did you sort of really take to Eccleston, or do you think there was enough time to take to Eccleston? Yeah, I just felt that uh, Eccleston was the type of doctor, unlike maybe Tennant, Smith, um, any of the previous doctors, that you couldn't really form much of an emotional attachment to him. Um, he wasn't. He never really sort of came out with an emotional side, maybe up until um, his last episodes. I don't think you got the chance to to sort of get to know him, in a sense, uh, unlike you did with Tennant and uh, obviously with, with Matt Smith going now. You know, you, you, you form an attachment to certain doctors. And with Eccleston, I just thought um, he didn't get enough time for you to form that relationship with him. No, it is, it is a pity. It is a pity he didn't stay around for much longer because I, I, I actually did think he was quite a good doctor. So, um, you know, I was actually pretty gutted when he left. But then, of course, as you say, we've got David Tennant. And um, so, I mean, what do you think about David Tennant's portrayal? Because it, towards the end, it did come in for quite a bit of stick. Um, and certain people, myself included, must admit, thought he sort of kind of outstayed his welcome towards the end. Which Would you say that was a... a, a a fair assessment? Yeah. Um, I don't know whether he outstayed his welcome. I think he... I think the way Russell T. Davis wrote um, sort of the, the Tenant's last series, it, it got, got people maybe a bit too obsessed with the Doctor as a character. And I know the whole show was based around the Doctor as a character. Um I don't know, maybe it just seemed all about the Doctor. It just all, it seemed all about the Doctor's whinging and whining and um, his, his problems and, and him sort of having to lean on people. Um, maybe that's just me, but I, I do think that he did outstay his welcome a bit in terms of, for me, um, he's not my favourite Doctor, but he really did get quite annoying towards the end. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can, I can sort of, sort of understand that actually. Um, but of course, after him, we got the amazing Matt Smith. Uh, but now, now, recently, obviously, just announced that he's leaving the role. Uh, how, how do you sort of feel about that? I feel, I feel really disappointed with that, to be honest, because, um, and by the time he leaves, he'll be the longest-serving modern Doctor Who. But unlike with Tennant, as we were just saying, I don't think that he's outstayed his welcome in any way. He, he seems to have got better as the series has gone on. Um, the 11th Hour is probably my favourite new Doctor Who episode um, there's been. Um, so it, it's I'll just, say that one's pretty much perfect, isn't it? I, it is. I mean, and you get sort of the... the the slight fan service, you know, at the end, uh, with all the doctors appearing as well, and and it was just, it was, it was so well done, really nice, you know. He, he was finding his feet, and, and that scene, especially when with the TARDIS crashing to earth at, at the start of the episode, uh, and just 
nearly got uh, a little bit sore uh, on the top of Big Ben as the, the <laughs> he managed to pull the TARDIS up. But, you know, everybody was so sceptical um, that what this guy would be like. Um, they tend to get quite, not unknown actors, but not, you know, your, your superstar kind of guys um, into the role of Doctor Who. So everyone is always a bit sceptical. For me, he put my my fears at rest within, you know, within the first ten minutes. No, I think he did that for one hell of a lot of people, actually. Um, I think that's why people are so sort of saddened that he's actually leaving the role. Um, but of course, now with this, you've got the that sort of frenzy of who's going to play the Doctor um, after Matt Smith. Um, obviously, there's been certain actors been put forward. What what do you want from rather than sort of like? What, who will play the Doctor, but what do you want from the next person who plays the Doctor? I... <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is crazy, the situation that we find ourselves in, you know, with obviously, we're both on Twitter and, you know, we both visit uh, our various fan sites and I think there's, there's become this hysteria every time um, <laughs> the Doctor is it has to be replaced, you know, and um, I I, had to, I wrote an article on the on the Gallifrey Times the other day about why I thought the Doctor um, didn't have to be a woman, and it's it's not as simple as it sounds. It, it's not me saying the Doctor should not be a woman, and that's it. I explain my points, and um, you know, people who have never even seen the show, um, you know, who work on radio stations or television programs. Um, all of a sudden, now that it's brought into the public spotlight that uh, the BBC need a new Doctor Who, they all feel the need to, to jump on this um, politically correct bandwagon <laughs> to, uh, to air their views that the, the next Doctor should be a woman and that you know, the next Doctor should be uh, of, of a certain ethnic origin. The, the next Doctor should be the best person who auditions for the role. <laughs> and exactly, that's exactly. Don't cast a woman because um, society says that we should cast a woman, or don't don't cast um, a, a person of a certain nationality or ethnic origin because society says we should. Just cast the best person in the role. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, you know, I think it's down to who is right for the role, rather than sort of ticking a few boxes, as long as they get the, the best actor they possibly can, or actress, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter, as long as they're a, a good actor or actress, and can actually play the role well, and yeah. bring something different to the role, which I think is, um, especially after Matt Smith, is going to be quite important for a few people. Oh yeah, without doubt, I mean, don't get me wrong, uh, I, d- I do have my own opinions on it, you know, sort of that, I personally feel that maybe the doctor should remain a bloke, mm-hmm. um, but I would have absolutely no problem with. I mean, it's the same sort of thing in football, isn't it? We, I'm an Everton fan, and we had a, a guy come in last week, and he wasn't my first choice. But at the end of the the day, you get behind, you get behind the person, don't you, and support them, and 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 hope that it works out. So. You know, I've got absolutely no problem with man, woman, um, you know, or any any sort of type of person taking the role, as long as they're good um, and are taken on for the right reasons, with being 
good for the role of Doctor Who, then I haven't got a problem with it, to be honest. Yeah, rather than just, a, a, like a stunt casting yeah, decision. Uh, yeah, just, just to uh, answer the Daily Mail, you know. <laughs> which, which you must never do. No, <laughs> never no. answer the Daily Mail. But no. is, there, is there anything, because um, obviously we sort of briefly touched on sort of the, actually mentioned the Daily Mail, this sort of media frenzy that sort of seems to surround the show now. Um do you sort of like feel that um, it's become too popular, perhaps? And maybe as it used to be with, it was sort of like an underground show that nobody spoke about in public because it was a little bit embarrassing if you admitted you were a Doctor Who fan. Um, do, do you think you know? Do you think it's um, it's a good thing now? It's it's so widely known and so widely adored. I think it's a good thing that I mean, obviously, the show now, uh, obviously before series six I think um, they they obviously signed up with BBC America to, to really plug the show um, and that's great I mean Doctor Who's reaching countries far and wide that, that it never has done before uh, but with that comes a lot of um, you know the intense media type thing I mean I, I saw something on the front page of the star the other day that uh, Michael Jackson's daughter is going to be the next <laughs> Doctor Who. Um, it, That's ridiculous, uh, isn't it? <laughs> no, it is ridiculous. But it, I mean, that's that. In a in a way, it, it's good that the show attracts that type of attention. With places like the Daily Mail, I tend to go back to the conversation we just had about um, the Doctor being a woman or the Doctor being of an ethnic. Uh, 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 race or, or whatever I, I think the Daily Mail are, are ba- they basically just home in on anything that, that can cause um, they can create hysteria or create a shock with regards to something without really knowing you know what what's going on um, you know don't get me wrong the, the higher publicity for the show is great because it promotes it you know we've, we've got so many young kids um i remember little uh, was it henry last week yes Le- yes i mean how great was he oh no brilliant patience <laughs> hey can i borrow him for a week <laughs> <laughs> you know that that's the type of thing that that we want for you know younger younger kids to come in and start watching Doctor Who, you know, I've already got my daughter who's only three saying Daleks, um, TARDIS and and she knows when Doctor Who's on, she recognises the music but, you know we want to get new viewers in but at the same time it, it does create a terrible hassle for, um, for I mean certainly Stephen Moffat, you know, he, he left Twitter because he just used to get a Abused by certain people who claim to be fans, um, and, and it's it's a television show. As much as we love it, there's a certain hysteria that follows it around now, and it's just like, just let it go. It's television. Look forward to it on a Saturday night, but let's not get, you know, keep calm and carry on. That's what I say. <laughs> but is, is there sort of that sort of um, that sort of aspect of of Doctor Who fandom does that sort of kind of really sort of disappoint you because I know it certainly does me um, where we we should all be 
you know, we're all fans, but it's as I said on the, when I um, in the last interview I did with um, Lisa Hoselgreaves, it seems to be now three different camps of Doctor Who fans. You've got the fans who are classic Who only. You've got the the then you've got your new Who fans only, and then you've got the the other set that sits squarely in the middle that likes both. Um, why do you think it's so fragmented? I mean, have you ever sort of um, got into any arguments with anybody about this? Um. <laughs> Well, well, maybe not arguments, disagreements, I should say. You know me, if you, if you used to listen to our podcast, you know, we used to argue amongst ourselves. I could <laughs> an empty room, to be fair. Um, I've never really got into any arguments, but, you know, I've sort of said to people, you know, just calm it down a bit. I do see what you mean about um, the various camps, you know. I mean, I would say that I sit firmly in the middle, you know. I, I, I enjoy new Doctor Who and... I equally as much enjoy classic Doctor Who. Um, There's a certain... uh, How can I describe it? There's a certain hysteria that comes over Twitter sometimes that causes me to have to unfollow people because they do sort of really live new Doctor Who, you know, and it's David Tennant, and, you know, David Tennant's popped out to... um, to know bargain booze to buy a pack of fags or a, a can of tizer or something and there's a picture of him and it and it's spread across the internet and it's like david tennant's the best doctor ever and um you know and they, I, I see sometimes people getting into real arguments on twitter about you know who's who's uh, the best doctor and you know why river song's amazing and you know you get the classic uh, doctor who fans getting involved as well and it's it does seem a bit crazy. I mean, I just sit on the fence, to be honest. I just, I just watch it all pass by. But um, I do see what you mean. There, there are various camps, and especially on the forums. Uh, I'm not mentioning uh, sites, but I mean, some of the forums, absolutely vicious places. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not brave enough to, to venture onto them. And when I write articles for the Gallifrey Times, I, I tend to just write them and then just not look at them again. Because, you know, we're quite lucky there because we have quite a good uh, sort of fan base of people who, who appreciate what you're writing. But, you know, uh, on other places, there are some serious, um, I don't know, internet users who really attack each other, and I, I just don't like to get involved, to be honest. No, that's the, I think a wise decision, I think, actually. <laughs> so, I mean, so really, I mean, as we were talking about Matt Smith and everything, round about the time he's in the role, that's when you, you started podcasting, as we were sort of discussing sort of uh, your podcast yeah. a minute ago. How, yeah. how did the whole podcasting thing come about for you? <laughs> Do you want the honest answer or the professional answer? <laughs> Oh, let's have both. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the first podcast that we did was um, I set up a domain on, on, on the internet called Gallifrey UK. Mm-hmm. And um, my friend Graham, funnily enough, spelled a different way. And I um, decided to embark on a podcast uh, to basically sort of discuss uh, the news and, and things each week and, and talk about the episode that had been on. Um, that Saturday night and we sort of at that time he lived just around the corner from me Um, I don't think we ever got together on a Saturday night with the actual intention of doing a podcast Um, Saturday night was more sort of get together have a laugh Um, 
and have a few drinks. But as it turns out, a few drinks turned into quite a few drinks. And then the, the podcast sort of became an, an afterthought. Um, I remember I used to write up sort of a little script sort of on a piece of A4 paper, you know, we, we would talk about this bit of news and we'd talk about this and that. And um, it was very rarely followed um, of a Saturday night. <laughs> and it makes... I just can't believe that we actually had people who listened to it every week because when I used to listen back to it in of a morning, it was like the morning after the night before. <laughs> you know, when you wake up with a terrible hangover <laughs> and it's like, you listen back to it and I thought, God, we actually did make some sense. <laughs> you just don't remember so, it, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what we were talking about, but thanks for reminding me, computer. <laughs> At the times that we had to cancel the podcast on a, on a Saturday night because I'd forgotten to press the record button. Oh dear! Um, oh dear! <laughs> yeah, and and it was just it was mayhem on Sunday. Wait, are you going to put the podcast up? Um, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I will do. Yeah, once I've found it, sort of searching around on the computer. No, I, I don't think I recorded it in the end. Oh dear. <laughs> So I mean, well, after um, I mean, obviously you sort of um, <laughs> gave up on the uh, the Gallifrey UK or the the Gallifrey and high imbeciles as it as it eventually yeah. became known, yeah. um, and then you moved into the what you call the Fifty Shows of Gallifrey podcast. Now that was quite an a, an adventurous um, podcast. Actually, you were trying to begin with. You were trying to do a daily podcast, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Um, I just thought there was something sort of maybe lacking from. I mean, obviously. You know, there's so many podcasts out there, and you know they're all a hundred times better than, than than what I produce. But I was maybe just trying to sort of bring a different angle on it by by sort of providing a podcast uh, once a day uh, around about seven or eight o'clock, um, just sort of ten twenty minutes talking about any news that had, had come through um, also gave sort of the, the latest podcast listings it, it was sort of like the, the full time score um, on you know on the BBC for the football whereby we just sort of sum up the news sum up the, the podcast releases that, that had come up on the the Dot Who Podcast Alliance and um, yeah and I, t- I tried to few, uh, throw a few of my own sort of ideas and features in there but uh, it was it was quite a quite a big commitment to to be doing it sort of seven days a week. Um, after editing, you know, if you record twenty minutes worth of stuff, you know, you've done it for for forty minutes. And after you've come in from work and got to have your tea, you know, it, it's uh, every day. It's uh, it's a big commitment. So I eventually took it down to to once a week, and then. And thought I, I really don't want to have to commit to anything um, anymore. So luckily, I got got picked up by the Gallifrey Times, and uh, hopefully, I might get picked up by uh, other people who may fancy chatting to me, like yourself. That's it. So, how, I mean, how did you um, how are you find it on the Gallifrey Times at the moment? What's the um, sort of what what's your sort of your mo on that for, for them? Um, my sort of brief on the Gallifrey Times is uh, I write sort of, uh, sort of daily news articles I, I review quite a bit of big finish stuff at the moment as well uh, write my sort of odd um, chapter and verse on, on various things for example the 
the the female doctor article and um i get asked to go on the podcast every saturday night um so something which we're we're looking to rotate now because we've got a few more people on board for the podcast so um yeah, and I'm also the head of recruitment, which sounds really important. Oh, yes, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, what does that entail exactly? <laughs> it entails people who basically want to write for the Gallifrey Times. Um, they get in touch with me. I sort their, sort their applications out, take a look at sort of what experience they've got, and then we go through a process then of, of sort of integrating them into, into the system, into the matrix Ah, well, if there's, if there's any uh, budding uh, writers out there who want to contribute to the Gallifrey Times, yes, um, yes we'll, we'll, um, we'll uh, put the uh, website address in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, that's cool, yeah. Yes, that excellent. Well, Graham, thank you very, very much for, uh, for joining us this evening. Oh, it's been a pleasure, mate. Yeah, oh, and um, here's, here's the 50th, is what I'm going to say. Yeah, I'll, 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 uh, I'll have a whiskey for you. Thank you very much. All right, matey. Cheers, Graham. Thank you very much. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You were listening to the Who's He podcast. Please visit our website at who's-he-podcast.co.uk and please also follow us on Twitter at who's underscore he underscore podcast. The Who's He podcast is a member of the Doctor Who Podcast Alliance. <laughs>